With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome. It's a new edition of Terry's Talking, the podcast that we do on Cleveland.com. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, alongside award-winning columnist for the Plain Dealer and Cleveland.com, Terry Pluto. Terry, how are you doing? I am well, David. Good. How you had a book, uh, not a book event, but a talk last night at a bookstore in Parmatown. Uh, how did that one go? I know you had some Actually, great turnout nice. for the first one. They ran out of chairs, so that's good. I mean, they had people at a stand. I think they had like more than 50, which is a nice thing for a Tuesday night. And um, as I mentioned to them at Parmatown, is walls of books. And I grew up just down the street on Westminster Drive. And I hadn't seen that house for a while. I don't know if you go buy a house where you grew up, you kind of looked at it going, that thing looked pretty small. This little ranch house on Westminster and uh, the, the neighborhood still seemed about the same. And, yeah, I drove down a couple of the other streets where I had a friend named Debbie Gray lived on one and some others. So it was kind of cool to, to do that and to run into some of the people there. So um, those have been the that and the uh, Willoughby Library the week before are really the first two events other than some ministry stuff I've done since I've come back. And it's been great just to see the crowds of people come out. Yeah, I know what you're saying about your childhood house, too. It, it seems like your whole universe is the house in your neighborhood, and it just mm-hmm. seems immense when you're a little kid. And then you go back when you're when you're growing up, and you're like, wow, it's just a, it's a lot smaller than I remember. It's funny how that happens. Yeah, I mean, I still remember the address of the house. I can't remember the addresses. I've loved several other places since then, um, and I can't remember those, but I do remember remember that. I remember the phone number is Tuxedo 48181, so I, I have no idea what happens if you dial that now. Ah, the old phone numbers with the words. Yeah, the with beginning. the party lines and that kind of stuff, too. Those were is the she days. off yet? Well, no, not about her grandmother again. <laughs> All right, Terry, let's get into the Browns here. The yes. Browns are uh, wrapping up uh, OTAs tomorrow. We're taping this on Wednesday, and they are wrapping up OTAs on Thursday. On Tuesday, out in Berea, the one practice they're having out there this week, Deshaun Watson talked to the media for the first time since his introductory press conference. And you thought it was a good thing that they had him speak and that he went out and and met with the media and answered some questions. Right, because from his point of view, this is a, you know, it's a PR battle. You got two of these, uh, you know, cowboy lawyers down in Texas. And that's, I mean, they'll tell you that's kind of how they deal with with Busby and Harden going at it, trying every PR thing that they can. 
Um, and everybody's talking about Watson except Watson. And so I thought it was important for him to get out and say his piece. I mean, he's really not moving out of the, you know, I disrespected no one, I assaulted no one, I did nothing wrong. Uh, that's his stance he's sticking to it. I want to clear my name, um, basically indicating he doesn't want to settle the lawsuits. He seemed really more relaxed and better prepared for this one. But as I wrote in my column, David, in the end, it's really kind of come down to how the NFL rules and how the courts uh, eventually rule with all those civil suits. But I think Browns fans needed to see him anyway. Yeah, one thing I thought that that struck me was uh, at his introductory press conference, Mary Kay Cabot from our, our staff here asked him, do you, do you think you need help? Do you think you need counseling? And he flat out said no at that press conference. And yesterday she said, have you, have you gone to any counseling or anything like that? And he said, yes. So I thought that was interesting that he, it's, he says that it sounds like he's getting some help um, off yeah, the field in terms of working through this. Right. I mean, even if his best case scenario is that really I had didn't do a thing wrong and, you know, all this is concocted for them to get money. That's kind of their stance. You're still, the psychological toll on, on anybody going through that is, uh, is significant. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole thing other than there's just way too many massage therapists. And that sort of is a red flag of something or other. And we could let the professionals slog their way through that uh, psychological question. All right, Terry, so yesterday was practice in Berea. On Tuesday, they had a full practice out there. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this. So today, they take a bus down to the Hall of Fame in Canton, and they practice at the field down there for half an hour. wasn't a full session. And the way down, Kevin Stefanski decides that he thinks it would be really cool for the team to watch the um, A Football Life episode featuring Jim Brown that the NFL Network produced so that they could learn about Jim Brown, his legacy, the history of the team. He invited uh, Marion Motley's family to come down and Bill Willis's family to come down uh, to watch practice. And we've seen basketball hoops at practice this spring. I, I wanted to see what you thought about all that. And my theory is, and I don't know if you agree with this, but I, we heard last year players talking about the disconnect and the lack of chemistry on the team, but not, not only between the offense and the defense, but sometimes even within the units. And I'm wondering if this is a concerted effort by the Browns to really – uh, it's team bonding or whatever you want to call it, just to make it so it's not, all right, let's run this drill and now let's do seven on seven and now we're going to go 11 on 11 and go home. The, I think adding this stuff around football is kind of the, the, the symbol that they're really trying to make this more of a cohesive team. What do you think? Well, there's a couple of things going on. One is they should go down the Hall of Fame every year and have some sort of program. I mean, it's right down the road from them. And you want the younger players to know what the older players did and who they are. It's a perfect place to do it. And on top of that, uh, like they did, you know, there's so many different uh, good documentaries they could do. You know, Football Life uh, is one. And in fact, I was interviewed for that. I remember a long time ago. I, I can't recall if, if, I'd, if I survived it, but I remember I thought I was so glad they were doing it. It was a really interesting project. And so that was really good. Um, I thought it was odd that Miles Garrett said, I don't want to go into the Hall of Fame until, you know, I'm in it. It was a, just, I thought, first I thought it was a joke, but he sounded kind of sincere about that. Where, um, you know, Miles should take a page. That's one thing about LeBron James from even going back in his days at St. V. 
he was always not only respectful of the older players in the history of the game, he knew a lot about it. You know, he watched videos and things. He cared about that stuff. He loved it when Oscar Robertson or Julius Serving or one of those players would show up at some event where he was. He paid them really homage and respect. Um, and I really think that would have been one of the things where there's a chance for Miles to go in a different direction and say, gee, I really want to look at who those players are so that I could figure out how to get into the Hall of Fame. So I thought it was a mistake on his part. By the way, I like Miles a lot. He does a lot of good work. None of this is to negate that. But I just think sometimes these guys uh, take a swing and miss, and, and somebody just po- should point it out to them. Yeah, it's hard when, when you're that young, kind of, you don't you don't sometimes have that perspective, and that's mm-hmm. kind of what made LeBron just kind of a really interesting character. In yeah, that he, yeah. He, he always liked that. I mean, I'll tell you, another guy who was like that was Albert Bell, knew the history of the game. And one of the most uh, – Albert would usually talk to me maybe once or twice a year, and he was having a big first half. So I'm interviewing him about – he actually just sat down with me for about a, a couple of weeks before the All-Star break. And we're talking about something. And he says to me, do you know uh, there's a record I might be able to break by the All-Star break? And I go, what is that? Hank Greenberg had the record for the most RBIs at the All-Star break. I forgot what it was. A, I was surprised he knew who Hank Greenberg was, which is really great. Played for the Tigers first base in the, in the 1930s. B, he knew what the record was. And C, he wanted it. So I think he just came up short. But I asked him about some other records and things. And, he, I mean, he knew a lot about baseball history. And not just, oh, gee, Babe Ruth is good. But a lot, like, like I mentioned, you know, Hank Greenberg or Al Rosen, who, who played for the Indians back then and some others. It, was a, it turned into a raging talk uh, about that. And it showed a side of Albert that you don't see that often. And I just think that um, I hope the Browns use more of that. They have so many former players around. So much history is right in their backyard. Uh, and the guy should get a chance to connect with that. Yeah, and I, you made me think of Mike Tyson. I mean, even when he was 20 years old, he was watching old movies mm-hmm. of old boxers from the early 1900s. You're right, the, the great ones seem like they're really students of the game. I think that that's pretty pretty regular to see. So. Um, yeah, because, right, you, you know, yeah, sometimes, too, the, you know, the players, you know, that's some old guy. You see Jim Brown now, you know, last time I saw him, he's on a cane, you know, he's all beat up. But when you watch those videos of him, it still is the greatest running back I've ever seen. It, it's just phenomenal. And I remember when I was writing one of my books, I kind of looked at his career at uh, Syracuse not just football. A lot of people knew he was a tremendous lacrosse player. But one year he decides to go out for basketball, he averages 13 points. That's something. I think huh? he came off the bench or something. It's like he was playing like everything. Yep, nobody will be like him again, that's for sure. So, Terry, let's talk uh, about Baker Mayfield. Um, I know it's a, th- a thing that's not going away anytime soon, it appears, but you've been kind of writing about the talks between that have been ongoing apparently between the Browns and the Panthers. And where do you see this ending up? And I guess the question everybody's asking this week is, do you think there's a chance that Mayfield could be starting against the Browns on opening day on September 11th? But sure. talk about the Carolina angle and kind of what you've been hearing about where this is headed. Well, I don't care what the coaching staff said down there. They had a thing last week about how Sam Darnold, like the greatest practice I've ever seen. 
you know, the problem with Sam Darnold is that the, the games have not been the greatest anybody's ever seen, and he's thrown more interceptions over the last two years than he's thrown touchdown passes. Uh, his last year with the Jets and then first year with Carolina. Uh, I just can't believe they're going to go into the season with him as their starter. And so uh, I believe they were in on the Watson bidding early. I know they try to make a trade for him and that, so they're looking for a quarterback. And the Browns, they can't just leave themselves wide open with Brissett as your only quarterback and Josh Dobbs, who's thrown a grand total of 17 passes in the NFL, as your backup. You can't do that. You've got to have another guy in here. And, you know, some people say, well, even if he gets suspended, say, say it's only six games. I still want another guy in here. You know, I want I just want a, a guy you could put in the game in case Brissett gets hurt. Um, I have one person from the Browns said, well, remember, we picked up Nick Mullins right before uh, opening day a year ago. I'm, okay, Nick Mullins, whatever. You know, it's, it's fine. I, th- I think he's back with the 49ers. He's somewhere else right now. And there's always those guys floating around. Not that I think Darnold's all that great, but I did check on his character. That's what I wanted to know. And they said he's really a good guy. He could probably handle the backup stuff uh, if need be. So, you know, I would probably make that trade because the only way it looks um, not worth it would be if um, Watson gets off without a suspension. Now, maybe they'll know all this by July 4th. That seems to be the latest rumblings I'm hearing. Of course, there's been a lot of rumblings, and a lot of them just should have been, uh, those faucets should have been turned off because they're wrong. Uh, But we're going to find out if that's correct. So maybe they they might even have something in place, you know, that they're just kind of waiting to see uh, what kind of suspension comes down for Watson. But it's just that the salaries match up. The needs are there. They, They need something better than Darnold. And the Browns need something better than the Joshua Dobbs. And all the pieces might fit as you, as you, and they're both contracts uh, end up at the end of the year. So in other words, you're not buying into um, something that's going to haunt you long-term. So yes or no, will Baker Mayfield be starting for the Panthers in the opener? I'm going to say yes. All right. I think so too. I do. I mean, it's just common. You sit there unless they turn around and, Surprise us all, make a trade for Jimmy Garoppolo or something. It would have to be something like that. I, I, we talked a week ago about Garoppolo and the Browns and that. I kind of asked around, if it's going on, I can't find any even whisper of that. Well, and there's two reasons why. One is he's making $22 million, I think, yes. for this upcoming season. The other thing is I, I don't know that he can throw the ball down the field outside the hash marks. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and he's recovering from shoulder surgery and throwing arm shoulder surgery. Yeah. So, um, a lot but of I've always liked him. There. You know, Jimmy Garoppolo wins games. He doesn't stay healthy. That was one of the one of the top people with the the Browns. Tell me, he goes that's he goes one of the issues. He goes we kind of like he goes remember we like tried to get him a few years ago from New England, um, and that was a strange thing. They were told no, and then like a week later, Belichick calls up San Francisco, just trades him for a second round pick. The Browns would have done a couple seconds. It was a very weird deal back then when Garoppolo was with New England and he got traded and it, the whole thing was odd. Well, and I just think he's the kind of guy who can win because of the guys around him. Yeah. He can't, he can't help a team get over the top in a game or in a season. I just think he's, he's but, a game. You know, if we're looking yeah. at treading water, David, for this year. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you look at this, I mean, let's, let's talk about the offense for a minute. Okay. You're Jimmy Garoppolo, or even if you're Darnold, you walk into this, who's in your backfield? 
Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, and a Keep great going. offensive line. Yeah. Keep <laughs> going. You got Burns Johnson. You got they really like Ford. I, I was hearing very good thing. They thought Ford could catch passes. They finally can catch passes. So you got four of them there. You know, and then you have Felton, whatever he is. But then the offensive line, look at it. It's a good situation. Yeah. Receivers yeah. is the only thing there. But um, David Bell's done very well in camp. And you've got Amari Cooper. You know, you got Donovan Peoples-Jones. You got a lot of, you know, you could use Kareem Hunt to split him out. All kinds of stuff you can do. So whoever this quarterback is, it doesn't have to be great. But I just don't want that. That's why they think, by the way, that Brissett would be fine as a starter. That's their view. But, I, you know, you're sprained ankle away or whatever from Joshua Dobbs. I know I'm harping on that, but that's who it is. Look at the roster. No, that's that's the truth. And, and like you said, it's one injury away. And everything they work for this season can be, like you said, one sprained ankle mm-hmm. and all go down the toilet because of not having a good backup. So and They probably could put Darnold in a system – that need be where he doesn't have to do a ton, you know, just like that. But Garoppolo is sort of the ultimate game manager. You know, he won't mess it up and he's real smart. Everybody's lined up in the right spot. The other guys like him. Uh, and okay. He's not a Super Bowl winner, but uh, he's pretty good with a good group. All right. Two options there. We'll see how that ends up, Terry. Uh, so let's move to the defense. There's not a lot of discussion about the defense with all this mm-hmm. drama going on on the offensive side of the ball. And there's a pretty good young linebacker group here that's coming up. And I, I want you to talk about that for a minute because everybody talks about the DBs and everybody talks about Clowney and Miles Garrett. But this linebacker group, the Browns have some high hopes, don't they? Yeah, they do. And that's what I was surprised when I was talking to one of my sources. Um now, the, the Andrew Berry front office, of course, they went in big for those LSU guys, uh, Jacob Phillips and Grant Delpit, Delpit being a safety. But they sometimes consider him a linebacker because they think he's good in the box, too. So you have those two. And then you have, um, you know, JOK as a linebacker. And then you also have Anthony Walker. You know, Taki Taki's like probably the bottom of that list. But they feel, even though they their, their system doesn't um, – accent linebackers as much as many others, they think that this is your year to really break through with Phillips, break through with Delpit, uh, JOK in his second season. Those guys are in their third, but they had significant injury problems in their past. You know, that they're ready to go. I was thinking just now, like in terms of key guys, uh, David, who are the guys on that defense who predate Andrew Barry? You got Miles. And you have Jude Greedy Will Williams, and you have, and you have nobody else that comes to mind for nope. me. Nope. I'd have to run through, but I think you're right. I got to look at this for some Sunday notes, but it's just like it's been a total rehashing. I guess Taki Taki, I think, was drafted by uh, uh, by Dorsey. So that would be the, the other one. But the fact is, and there might be some bench guys that are still around. But let's say Greedy Williams doesn't start, Taki Taki doesn't start. I mean, the only guy who predates them who's going to start is Miles. Do you think this defense can be top five this season? No, but top ten. Top ten. 
top ten, I do. Yeah, the tackles. I know they. If you think they diminish linebackers, actually, what they really diminish is tackles. Uh, they just sort of think these big guys will just, you know, take some out, put some in. We have Tommy Togia and Jordan Elliott and, um, you know, a few of these others. But you could tell they've never spent much money on that, nor do they intend to. But if you want that top five defense, you would like one defensive tackle that you kind of go, yeah, that guy's, that guy's good. Uh, I can't say that about anybody with the Browns. But uh, in terms of, as they were telling me, the back end, the back end being the linebackers and the four defensive backs, um, they believe that those guys would be so much better now because they've played together for a while. You know, you're not rolling in John Johnson for the first time. And remember they had Troy Hill there before, whether, you know, the, and you have Newsome, you have all these pe- people have been in the system and they think that uh, uh, they'll just be able to do more with it. Joe Woods can, can experiment more and, and that they will be that kind of athletic defense that can run quickly side to side. That's what they really wanted. A defense that just, not just wins the 40-yard dash, but is really quick laterally. I mean, JOK, that's one of the things he can really do is run sideways. They say Phillips, I'd like to see more of him, can do that. Um, so I'm anxious to to see that them in play because, you know, let's just put watching on the shelf for a minute because he may be there for more than that. It's still a good team. It's a good team. Yeah, and what we're seeing now, Terry, is the continuity that the Browns have never had since coming back in 1999, they've had coaches who've been here for a while now. They've got yeah, players I mean, who've been here for a while. You don't have to start every mini camp or OTAs teaching well, people to face gets through, or, I'm sorry, yeah. David. If Stefanski gets through the season, he will be the longest tenured coach since. Go ahead. Romeo Cornell. Romeo Cornell. Yep. 05 to 09. How about 08? Four <laughs> years. And happy retirement to Romeo. He just retired. And the second, the second longest Right now, Hugh Jackson at two and a half years. And that's all you need to know about how the Browns have done since they came back. All right, Terry, let's take a break. Uh, We ran a little long on the Browns, but some good stuff there. Hey, when we come back, let's talk about the sensation, the phenomenon that is Jose Ramirez. I I want to get your thoughts on the MVP race this season and where it's at and where you think it might go. Uh, And then we'll talk some Cavaliers a little bit. And uh, we Mm -hmm. want to talk about your faith in you, Colin, this week. you got some great stories from people about Father's Day memories. And we've got some good Hey Terry questions. So we'll be back in a second on Terry's Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hey, we're back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell and Terry Pluto. We're going to talk a little Guardians right now. Terry, the Guardians are 30 and 27. They're getting hot. They're only two and a half games behind the Minnesota Twins in the division. Who would have thought that? And they got a big series at Minnesota next week. But let's start with the phenomenon that is Jose Ramirez. Last night, and Paul Hoynes, our colleague, wrote about this today. He did just about everything a baseball player could do to win the game for the Guardians last night. Uh, Drove in two runs with a single. 
earned a started a next at bat, and I think it was in the sixth inning with an 0-2 count. Worked a walk out of it. Stole second. The ball gets away on a bad throw. He goes to third and eventually scores. And then defensively, he got Bieber out of a tough situation by turning a double play with a nice stop at third. And then in extra innings. I mean, this guy is doing everything for the Guardians. And I guess what I want to get your thoughts on is, should he be leading the MVP race right now? And and where do you see him fitting into how people are seeing him nationally? I don't see, think they're really seeing him nationally at all. I just they may see a bit of here on Sports Center or whatever, but he's not in the national conversation because it's Cleveland. He doesn't make commercials. You know, he's very low keyed. Um, I mean, there's so much of people that probably still think Frankie Lindor is better because he's in New York. I got news for you. You're wrong. Um, I just looked here, um, MLB.com. This did This is as of June 2nd, a poll. Uh, they have Mike Trout. They polled 59 baseball writers. Uh, Mike Trout first. And then they came up with Aaron Judge second. They have a, Ramirez third. So that's pretty good, actually, for the voters, you know. Uh, well, let's. Uh, why don't we run through some of these guys yeah, and their so stats just to give I was the listeners a little to see bit. Tani was fourth, but go ahead. Yeah, so I, I was looking. I just want, I'm curious what the odds are sometimes on some of these okay. things. And I was looking on a website called Sports Betting Dime, which is pretty well known. Aaron Judge is the favorite right now at plus one one twenty five. That means if you bet a hundred dollars and he wins, you get one hundred twenty five back. So um, Shohei Otani is plus three twenty five. Mike Trout is plus 650, and then Jose Ramirez is fourth at plus 750. So he's fourth in this odds. In terms of stats, Aaron Judge, 24 homers, 48 ribbies, batting 313, and he's got an OPS of 1.059. Jose has 16 homers, 62 RBIs, which leads the major leagues, 10 steals, including one last night. 296 batting average and an OPS of 1.037. So the OPSs are 1.059 to 1.037. Not much to choose from there. But like you said, Aaron Judge does commercials. He's all over TV all the time. Every time the Yankees and the Red Sox play, it's like a a national holiday for ESPN. Mm -hmm. And they promote the hell out of it. In the meantime, the Guardians aren't seen nationally as much. Jose Ramirez, he doesn't do a lot of post-game interviews that, you know, are on national TV the way that Aaron Judge gets an opportunity to do. And every time you turn on SportsCenter, Aaron Judge is hitting a home run and Jose Ramirez is hitting a single, double, stealing a couple bases. They play different games, and I just think the deck is a little stacked against Jose in a lot of ways, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And then the other two, we have Otani and Mike Trout, you know, even though the Angels stink for the most part. um, They're in a big market. Uh, Otani is an international figure. Uh, Trout is actually like Jose in that he could care less about publicity, but he is just such a, a dominating player. Um, of those, I mean, it's sort of hard to classify Otani because he's a pitcher too. You know, I started to say Jose's the best all-around player, but you got one guy's a pitcher. But you, I'll say this: nobody gets more out of their ability than Jose Ramirez in the major leagues. I just find what he does to be phenomenal um a guy for my hey Tariq and the guardians coming up suggested uh he wanted to kind of get a nickname for jose and he called it jose hustle and i was thinking you know more like she almost be like a song you know do the jose hustle 
And then I would take all those tapes of him running out from under his helmet, sliding head first. You know, his room is... His uniform is filthy, you know, ripping a line drive down there. I mean, he's got a ton of power. How does he have all these RBIs with this lineup in front of him? Miles Straw has been in the, you know, he's so deep in the tank, he needs a submarine right now, and he's been leading off. You know, they switched set number two hitters in front of him, sometimes Quan, sometimes Rosario. Now they've both come out of their slumps. But it's not as if he's, he's at a lot of line. And behind him, you know, everybody knows you, you really want to go with Miller, Owen Miller as your cleanup hitter. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, you know, sometimes it's Naylor, but there's nobody there that you look at and you fear. And, and Jose is just, it's just a phenomenal year. And starting with him pushing his agent to get the extension done and then playing like he has, uh, it's just a great, it's a great Cleveland story. Yeah, and Terry, I want to go back to that question you mentioned. From The, the gentleman's name is Bill Feinrich. I hope I said your name right, Bill. Yeah. And he says, hey, Terry, do you think Jose Hustle is a great nickname for Jose Ramirez? So here's my idea, Terry. What do you think of this? We should have people go on TikTok <laughs> and do a dance called the Jose Hustle. And, sure. and we could, we, we'll have Cleveland.com kind of uh, put this out there and see what we get back. Yeah, you know, but like it could wig, be, you can wear a wig like a Jose wig. Yeah, and... you come in, you come in off the, off the screen, you come out of nowhere, you run in place frantically for 30 seconds, you, you knock your hat off, right? I'm trying to think what else would be in the Jose hustle. And then, uh, and then at the end, somebody comes over and tells you Aaron Judge has a better dance or something. Yeah, something like that. I mean, just, <laughs> you know, here's the other part about where you talk about Judge, Otani. Um, all those other uh, elite players, they look like ball players. Jose looks like a guy, <laughs> you know, just some guy. And that's another thing that's why it's so endearing um, for that. So I really believe that um, if you're coaching a high school team or whatever, heck, even a college team, do some cut-ups of Jose's hustle. Put together a 90-second or two-minute video of this guy and say, look at this guy play. Why don't we play like this? Because none of this stuff here, you know, I'm talking about us taking the extra base, that that kind of thing. None of this stuff here is anything but effort and smarts. Because how he steals, he's stolen like 84% bases of success rate in his career. I mean, is his speed average? Maybe. I don't know. Certainly no more than that. But he's smart. He's smart in every way. So I, I was trying to think if they ever put a statue up of Jose outside progressive field, I would, what would it be of? Like, cause he, he does so many different things. He'd be, you know, how he struts, he plays like he's mad. Yeah. And I was trying to think how you'd capture that in a statue. Just some of the stuff you're talking about. It's like, it would be a really tough thing to you capture the spirit the and the attitude. Flying. I don't know. Yeah. It could be the helmet flying. That'd be a really interesting thing to design. If you well, were I'm sure a, there's an artists artist. out there even listening to this and come up with something for it, but it, you know, the old thing. Well, he's a ball player. That's exactly right. I mean, Mike, Mike Trout's another. These guys are all physical specimens. I forgot to mention Trout in that group of Judge and Otani. You know, they're incredible physical. I mean, the Yankees are just huge when you play those guys. I mean, like when the Guardians play them, it's like they're the junior varsity. And this is the older kids, you know, when you look at them physically. Tom Hamilton and I were talking about that. Um, so it'll be fun to see what they do. You know, the when I when you look at the Guardians too, David, uh, what I'm really pleased at is how Stephen Kwan's bounced out of it. He had a great April, Rookie of the Month. He hits 175 in May, and the last I looked in June, he's like 340. 
so he got right back out of that that funk he was in and that means he did some adjustments and, and he's another guy that's really smart and uh, you, I was just thinking Chris Fedor, who covers the Cavs for us, uh, he, I think he tweeted last night, the Guardians are starting to look really Cavs-y mm-hmm. in, the, in terms of the way they play. They play the right way. They hustle. And I thought that yeah. was, a, it was a great phrase. So uh, so anyway, the Guardians. Yeah, uh, I, David, ahead, would, you, would you put uh, Quan in the leadoff spot? I don't know. I think with somebody like Miles Straw, you got to let him work it out a little bit longer maybe and then mm-hmm. maybe make the move. Uh, but – He's your leadoff man, and and you're riding with him. I think they stick with him for a while longer. What would you do? Uh, I would I would maybe wait another week or so. If not, I would drop him down because I know the long term plan for Straw was to bat him eighth or ninth. They gave him the money. I mean, they don't want him to hit 220, but they're thinking this guy's like a 260 hitter, a little over 700. But he, even now, where he's not hitting, the ball's just hit. He just goes and catches it. You know, it's like he goes runs to the right spot all the time. In fact, um, if a lot of us listening maybe don't remember Rick Manning playing center field. You know, I covered Manning when he was there. Manning played it much like Straw plays it. Right spot, um, quick. Manning's bat was suspect. But in terms of defensively, I think he won one gold glove. He should have won more. And Straw is, they want that, you know, they want the old strong up the middle. They want that anchor and center and that catcher. And that they'll give up a lot of offense for those two positions. Yeah, I think they leave him there for a while. I think I think a week is about right, Terry. I think you're on it. So uh, we'll see. So the Guardians are finishing up their series at Colorado. Then this weekend, they are at the Dodgers Friday through Sunday. And then they're off Monday. And they have a series with the Twins Tuesday through Thursday next week that could decide who's in first place when it's all over. Crazy to think about. So it's phenomenal to see what Eli Morgan's doing. I mean, this guy was considered a, a fringe fifth starter. His best pitch was a changeup. He's supposedly at control. He barely broke 90 miles an hour. You know, he's worked and built up his, his, his strength. So when he comes out of the bullpen now for an inning or two, he's throwing 93 because he doesn't have to pace himself at all, but yet he still has the control. And he still has a changeup. Now he had, you know, the one mistake against um, Oakland, the one game. But what he has done in other games is just terrific. And that has been a huge lift to the bullpen. Because remember, Karinchek was supposed to beat this guy. I don't know what's. I mean, he's down in Columbus. I don't know when he's coming up or what. Who knows? And then Class A, um, he, you know, Class A could make the All Star team. I don't know if they'll pick him, but he could. Yeah, I know Terry Francona was saying he wished he would have pulled Bieber one batter earlier last night and gotten yeah. Eli Morgan in. And I th- I'm wondering next time, t- you know, Terry Francona loves to trust guys he can trust, veterans especially. And I bet he's going to be building more and more trust in Eli Morgan as this thing goes along. And mm-hmm. next time he might make that decision one and batter earlier. And he may have to look at yeah. the simply that I hate to make that 100 pitches into a magic number. But maybe with Bieber, it, it's a magic number right now because he's coming off last year where he missed almost three months and his velocity isn't as good as it was. And I'm, that doesn't, by the way, really worry me a whole lot because his breaking stuff, his, his control, his smarts, it's all there. Uh, but, you know, maybe right now he gets six innings, he gets up right near 100, you got to turn over the bullpen 
at least at this stage. Now you want to try something to playoffs if they get there, whatever, but do it that way. Because it's happened twice, you know, where he's uh, kind of got himself into trouble as he went along. All right, so some big games coming up for the Guardians. Terry, we're running a little long here, but I did want to talk about the Cavs real quick. I was listening to the our um, Wine and Gold Talk podcast the other day with Chris Fedor and Hayden Grove, and they were talking about Colin Sexton. We've been talking about Colin Sexton, and Chris Fedor said something interesting that he, the people in Colin Sexton's camp are wanting him to get a contract that starts with the number two (laughs) in the near future. And everybody else seems to be thinking that the contract will start with the number one. So it's like 20 million versus, um, and they were talking about how a lot of people around the league think 10 million is more in the neighborhood. What's your take on that? Closer to 10, right? Yeah, that's the old, and you and I want hair too. So that's fine. We could talk about it, but you know, why is he getting 20 million? Um, he, he played 11 games and then was out the rest of the year with knee surgery. If you rank the players on the Cavs, and I did this this past Sunday, you know, you have Mobley's number one. You have, and and you, you, could, you could say maybe Garland is, is head of the game now, but Mobley's got the most all-around gifts going. Garland's two. Jared Allen's three. And I have, Lonnie, I have Laurie Markin in four uh, there. Now, that's not to diminish Collins' scoring, but when you – because remember, a basketball team – is based on players fitting different roles, all that kind of stuff. Colin on this team is a bench guy. 20 minutes, 24 minutes a game, come off and put up points. That's what he does. You can't play him and Garland together uh, for a serious length of time and expect to uh, make the playoffs. And that's and what I would simply tell him is the qualifying offer is like $7.5 million. You could take that for one year. Go out, have a great year. You'll be a free agent. Maybe you'll get your number two the following year. I kind of doubt it, but that's the way, you you know, go build your volume. I'm sorry, your value up by playing a volume, and there was a volume number of games. The ever-present prove-it contract, as they call it, right? Yep. That's kind of how it is in life for most of us. Yep. Uh, Your faith column this week. Let's talk about that, Terry. Faith in you which will be on cleveland.com on Saturday morning and in Sunday's Plain Dealer, Father's Day weekend. And you you do this a lot where you ask people for their favorite memories of their fathers and mothers around this time of year. And you got some remarkable responses. And you started the column off talking about you and your own father mm-hmm. and how, how important sports was to you uh, growing up, especially going to Indians games at the old stadium. Well, a couple of things stood out. I mean, one of them is a lady named Elaine wrote in. And she said, when I was a teenager, my father and I, we really weren't getting along all that well and that kind of stuff. But she said she noticed Brian Sipes' picture in the paper. This is so way back to the early 80s. And she just thought he was kind of interesting, cute, all that. So she started talking to her dad about Brian Sipes. And that led to talking about the Browns. And that led to father-daughter talking about stuff they could talk about. And that led to reaffirming their relationship to the point of where they would get together every Sunday. And that went on up to two weeks before he died. And, you know, sports is, is a, isn't the only thing in families, but it could be part of the glue that holds them together. One of my favorite stories that came from Les Levine's brother, you know, Les, the, the late sportscaster, Bill Levine, said, did Les ever tell you about when our dad burned Babe Ruth's suit? And he went on to say that, um, the Levine family owned a cleaners right across the street from Old League Park on Lexington Avenue. And 
this how about this? When the visiting players would come in town, they would have their suits and their clothes taken over to the Levine cleaners to get during the game while they were there to get clean. Well, uh, Les's father uh, decided he's going to help, and I guess of all things, he got in a Babe Ruth suit and he put in one of those fifty-pound irons on it and burned the Babe suit with it. So they had a, a lot of damage control there, but you know that's it's always funny to get the the uh, family lore about things. And I also know that Father's Day is very painful for some because they didn't have a biological dad that was there or he was distant or abusive and that. So I also ask people to send in, you know, do you have a father figure, a grandfather and that. And that led to some really interesting stories too. Uh, but I t can tell you this as somebody all the years I've done in, in jail ministry and uh, ministry at the Haven Arrested City Mission, uh, the impact of a father and the missing of a father, it's really big. And even if they kind of fight with you and your dad when they're younger, later on they really appreciate it. And when they don't have it, it, it is a huge hole. And that's why I give grandfathers, uncles, friends of the family, people who step in and do this a ton of credit. And uh, they are the ones that... Uh, Maybe you don't get recognized till later on, but they're so important. Yeah, and there are some really touching stories in there about people who, who did have somebody step in and really made a difference. So be sure to catch that this weekend. It's, it's a really great read. All right, let's do a few Hey Terry questions before we get out of here, Terry. You ready? Mm-hmm. All right. This one is from Bob Levin in Fairfax, Virginia. He says, hey, Terry, has the signing of Deshaun Watson led to a noticeable decrease in clicks or interest in articles and podcasts on the Browns, I, for one, have been paying a lot less attention because I hated the Browns signing Watson. So just for a little background, like, Terry, you and I, we don't really write stories based on how many clicks we think they're going to get. We do stuff that we think is interesting to p people that read our stuff and listen to it. Uh, but just to answer, it's been the same. Like, there's the same amount of interest as ever in the Browns, and we're going to cover it the way we're going to cover it and the way we think is right. But uh, in terms of what you've been hearing from fans in terms of response, do you think that Bob's – have a lot of people checked out on the Browns, or are they kind of waiting to I think to they have. They say they have, but I don't think they did. How's that? Um, although right now we're in the stage where people are reading this. For those who think the Browns should be slammed for, for uh, signing Watson, they're kind of reading the stories to see if it's going in that direction. And then others are hoping that, uh, he could end up being the quarterback. They're reading the stories to see if it's going in that direction. So, I mean, the readership is high. Look, David, we've both been around here. I mean, the readership was high when they were rolling 16. I mean, it's not as high as when they're better, but it's just phenomenal. I've often said you could put an orange helmet on the 50-yard line and just sell tickets for five bucks each and see 50,000 people go into the park and stare at it. You should write a book, Terry, about how popular the Browns are in Cleveland. You could call it Brownstown or something. Brownstown, maybe. yeah, oh, Brownstown 64. <laughs> and I mean, you know, I mean, at the bookstore, I'm holding up false start. What I, what I learned from watching the Browns, Browns blues. I mean, what a miserable situation. <laughs> All right, let's take one more, uh, Terry. And uh, this one is from Terry Toaz, T-O-A-Z. Terry, I hope I got your name right. 
Uh, it says, hey, Terry, I'd love to know why the Guardians didn't think enough of Oscar Gonzalez to put him on the 40-man roster. It's scary to think they could have lost him if the Rule 5 minor league draft had not been canceled this season. And well, you wrote about this. that This actually could have happened. They might have seen him they plucked could from have, the roster, but How about right? this? He also was a minor league free agent. So that meant if somebody really wanted him, they could have just jumped in right away. You know, Oscar said he wanted to stay here and he felt comfortable and resigned. But, you know, the moment he hit the free agent thing, and somebody said, guy, you 31 homers. You know, we'll call. We'll give him a big league contract. You know, we'll bring him in. Uh, nobody did. Uh, they looked at, I think this is where analytics sometimes gets in the way of common sense. They looked at the fact that he doesn't walk much. And I think right now he still only has one walk in like 70 plate appearances. Uh, and they kind of held that against him. But he also doesn't strike out that much. You know, that's, that's what I would counter with. Now, it, what hurt him is in 2019, he came up at the end of the year to Akron. He had like 100 plate appearances and batted like 180 with one homer. Then remember, 2020, there was no minor league baseball. He falls off of all the uh, even Cleveland top 25 prospect list. So he surprises everyone last year, and I think a lot of scouts from other teams wrote him off. And he hits the home runs, but they're looking at he only had 22 walks and 500 plate appearances and all that stuff. Um, and, he, you know, he had to break the label. Even in spring training, I was saying, well, you know, he doesn't strike out that much, but he swings the balls out of the strike zone. He pops them up, and, and we've seen him swinging some bad pitches. But, my goodness, he hits the ball to right field, and I saw a lot of tape of him hitting the ball to right field uh, at Columbus this year and last year. So it's like, this is a classic thing. And by the way, to, to, to make the mystery of Oscar a little odder, you would think, well, this is a guy they signed for 10 cents out of the Dominican Republic. No, in 2014, they gave him 300 grand. That was the biggest bonus they gave to any Dominican player that year. So they liked him in the beginning. Then they got off of him. Then they nearly lost him, but nobody else wanted him. So they kept him, and now he's playing in the outfield. Starting in right field and batting cleanup <laughs> lately. <laughs> Go figure. Some story, huh? Yeah. All right, Terry, let's baseball, take one more. You, get, you know, David, that's the other cool thing. You do get that in baseball because you have the minors. You have players literally coming from all over the world. And it's just it's fun to watch that. You know, I, I've talked to people, even the best scouts, when they get around, and you could get them talking about the guys that they were so sure of. One way or the other, couldn't play or could play. Um, and one scout told me, he said, you know, one of the safest ways is to uh, – just basically say, I can't play. You'll be right about 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah, that was a big theme in the movie Moneyball. It's a, you, you don't know. You can't you project know. what some 18-year-old kid is going to do. So that's part of what makes it fun. And Moneyball um, hates Oscar Gonzalez. That's right. He doesn't walk enough. doesn't, doesn't walk on base enough. All right, Terry, let's take one more. we got we got some time here. This one is from Lynn Hineke from Cleveland. I'm sorry, Lyle Hineke from Cleveland Heights. He says, hey, Terry, Phil Dawson was one of the coolest players to ever a Browns uniform. Was there ever any consideration by the team to retire his number? It's really sad to me that Deshaun Watson is wearing the same number. Yeah. Uh, was there any thoughts on that? And did the Browns ever think about retiring his number? I think they only retire Hall of Fame numbers. I have to check on that. But I believe that's uh, what, where they're coming from. Just like, you know, Bernie's number, I think, would be worth being retiring. Um that's, that's the deal there. Well, you know, only Cleveland. I really believe it's only Cleveland. You have fans that kickers are cool. 
They like they like their kickers. They're mad when they don't have a good kicker. Only Cleveland with the biggest. Um, when I was at that um, media thing for all the the rookies they had that day, the biggest media mob was around Cade York, the kicker, because <laughs> they got to have a kicker. It's Cleveland. Cleveland it always should have a good kicker. I mean, it's Luke Rose of you know, training complex and all that stuff. Yeah, it's a fascinating love affair that has happened well, for I, years and years. I do understand. I'll, and I'll, you know, Phil, I'm not saying he's a big friend of mine, but we are friends. And so I am not unbiased, but I also will say I'll stack his numbers against anybody else's just about too, except maybe Justin Tucker or somebody. But Well, and I, I also, I mean, we talked about this too, but Cleveland fans appreciate how hard it is to kick down there. And yes. the fact that he took it so seriously and really put everything he had into figuring out the wins and the best way to kick it at different ends. I think, I think fans really appreciated that. It was a very Cleveland thing. So uh, there we go. All right, Terry, I think that's going to do it. So t- tonight you're heading over to the Agora to hand out an award for the high school standouts event that we're hosting. Yeah, as the a teacher of the year and the coach of the year. So I'm not going to say who they are. Uh, yeah. it's not announced, but it's, it's a, it's a really cool thing to do. And, and I'm probably the only guy on our staff or woman who has to, has a degree in secondary education, which is my, my, my degree of secondary ed, social studies, minor in English, I only took one generalism course. Um, to do that, I had to teach six weeks in a junior high in Parma. And then I earned my, my certificate six months at Lincoln West. So five courses a day, three preps, one study hall. That was 1976 to 77, and I still remember it. And it made me very glad to become a writer after that because it was a lot harder than I thought. <laughs> well, when you get over there tonight, you can try. I will tell them, man, this is a lot harder than you think. <laughs> well, have a great time over there. I think it's going to be a big crowd. Hopefully everybody can stay cool since it's, uh, boy, 90-some degrees today in Cleveland. So, uh, all right, Terry, we're good. Anything else? That'll do it. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. We'll catch you next week on Terry's Talking.